Well, good morning and welcome to another edition of The Plotting Shed. You're listening to Rachel McCartane broadcasting or recording this podcast from what is actually the sunny south coast of England today. It's not raining. We have a brief window, respite. I know everyone gets fed up with the British talking about the weather, but being that we are in a unique position globally, that we are at the corners of four different global weather systems. We have a lot of different weather, which is why we're rather obsessed by it. But it's not raining today, so hallelujah. I'm out coaching this evening, which will mean that I actually stay dry. uh, So that will be really, really lovely. But I'd like to say thank you and welcome to everyone who is listening or who has downloaded these podcasts, thank you very much. It's a small start, but we're now up to about 1,300 listeners and people downloading our podcasts all around the world. I have people in Chile and Australia, parts of Europe, and predominantly over the other side of the pond in the United States who seem to be listening, so welcome to you, and also to people in the United Kingdom. It's lovely to talk to you too. Now, I thought I would talk to you today about a topic that's very close to my heart, which is plants to avoid if you don't like gardening. Now, my ethos for the company that I set up, Plant Plots, has always been to find ways to make gardening easier. Everything I do and everything I've written about on the website, everything, all the designs that I do for people are not about creating the most picture-perfect, beautifully designed, amazing, show-standard-looking type of garden. Because it's A, not affordable for the vast majority, B, they just don't want to have a garden that complicated or that difficult to look after, and C, I think these sorts of beautiful gardens take an awful lot of time to maintain. If you aren't planning on being an utterly dedicated horticultural enthusiast and expert, having a super garden like this, or like some of those that you see designed, is just creating you a problem. Either you have to pay for somebody to come and look after it for you, or you don't you just don't have the time and the capacity to look after it as it should be looked after yourself and then it becomes disappointing it gets overgrown and it just doesn't look as it should so i've never advocated going from this sort of zero to hero approach of garden design where you transform this uninspiring green patch of nothing into this amazingly designed garden gardens can be designed on a much more practical, simple, user-friendly, achievable, affordable and maintainable standard. And that's what I've always done. All the plants that I might look to put in people's gardens are plants that have I've grown or I know about and I know that they are not going to be difficult to maintain. So I don't think I've ever actually designed a garden really with a rose bush in unless somebody has said to me specifically they want one simply because they create a lot of work and that's something I'm trying to avoid so in the terms of plants to avoid if you don't like gardening it's really linked into what will make your gardening easier and so for me in order to tick that making my life easy box 
I need those plants to be self-sufficient. I need them to be well-behaved. I need them to be able to cope with whatever my particular weather is going to throw at them. And I also don't want them to fight back. So I don't want to have plants that are going to sting me or poke me or prick me or tangle me up or trip me in the face or whack me with something. All of those are are very important in terms of my plant choosing criteria. So I thought I'd go through why I choose and what are the sort of the pitfalls when you're going out choosing plants because it's coming into the springtime and come Easter holidays a lot of people want to go and get some plants for the garden and I don't want you to plant a problem. Let's take plants that fight back. In this category obviously there are plants that you have that will have spikes and thorns and prickles or tendrils that can trip you up and this sort of thing. But there's also those plants that are toxic and irritants and poisonous. And of course, the plant world is filled with thousands and thousands of highly toxic plants to human beings. But it's easy to get paranoid about thinking, oh my goodness, I can't have poisonous plants in the garden. The truth is you probably already have. You might well have poisonous house plants in the house. So I've put on the Plotting Shed blog, there's a post about this podcast, and I've put a couple of links to some common houseplants that are toxic and also the plants that are poisonous or an irritant or toxic on the, a link to the RHS gardening website. So you can have a look at those and you'll see that there's actually quite a lot of them. But let's keep this in perspective. A plant cannot kill you unless you somehow ingest what it has. And you ingest it either by getting the sap on your skin and into your bloodstream through a cut, or you actually physically eat it. So the plants in themselves don't attack us. But there are some plants for whom the consequences of accidental poisoning are just too extreme for me to ever to want to use them in a garden. And some of these are very beautiful plants and have got very pretty flowers. I was watching a television makeover show a couple of weeks ago, and I was really surprised that these garden designers that were doing this makeover show actually planted these in a garden. And there was nothing said on the show about what these plants were. And they've they've got very beautiful colour blue flowers. They look dramatic. They look striking but they're deadly poisonous. And this couple were just retired, so the likelihood is at some point they might have had grandchildren or what have you. Now this plant in itself is one where all parts of it are really deadly dangerous. It kills people. In fact, I think two or three years ago in the paper, there was a a gardener who worked, I believe, up in Annick in Northumberland in a, a stately home garden up there. And he died suddenly. And the only rationale that they can think of is that maybe he was handling this plant in the garden that they had without gloves on. Now, this plant, you probably read it, is called aconitum. It's also called monk's hood. If I was ever going to have a garden, you know that you're going to have friends and family and people coming round, or even if you have pets, it's just not worth the risk. 
Similarly, there is another plant which is sold in garden centres as a conservatory plant or as a, a house plant. You know, you can have it outside in the summer. And it's a very exotic looking plant. It has beautiful looking leaves. It grows nice and tall. It's quite stunning. Um, and it has these great big long flowers which look amazing. Now, its name is Brugmansia, which probably most of you will sit there going, oh, what's that? Well, its common name, and this is where the danger lies, is angel's trumpets. So these great big long dangly flowers look like trumpet horns. So if you're a child and you see one of those falling off the plant, you can likelihood is you could pick it up and go do 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 do. But again, this plant is really, really nasty stuff in it. Again, and another one is Ricinus, which is the false castor oil plant. And people might have this in the garden because it has really beautiful foliage. But back in the, I think it was the 1970s, there was a very infamous spy case in, in Britain where this, I mean, it was a real straight out of James Bond. But there was this Russian dissident who was walking across London Bridge, as he did to work every day, and he died after a couple of days and they couldn't understand what it was. The only thing he could remember was somebody bumped into him. Now, what it turns out was that some person had walked along the bridge behind him with an umbrella and at the tip of the umbrella they had a tiny needle and in this needle was a tiny little ball with tiny little metal sphere which contained the poison extracted from this plant which is ricin. Now this poor guy Georgi Markov died from being stabbed in the back of the leg with an umbrella walking across London Bridge. So if you can extract this kind of poisons from plants then I really think if you've got children and or pets, then avoid those ones, especially if they have beautiful flowers on them, because that's what children like to touch. Another easy sort of rule of thumb in terms of whether plants are going to be problematic in your garden is if they have a milky sap. Not all, but generally a white milky sap tends to be more of an irritant. So again, you need to think if, if you've got children with those sorts of plants in the garden or pets and things like that that might chew and might pick and what have you to keep those out of your garden. And again, I've put a, a link to the, the RHS list on the post. Let's not get too paranoid about the word poison and poisonous and this sort of thing, because again, it's only if you actually eat it or you ingest it that it's going to be a problem. Now, there are other plants that fight back, and I, I for one, haven't quite got my head around why you would want to have a plant that can give you a good old scratch and a prick up the backside if, you, if you're not careful. Gardens over the last, you know, few decades, or garden sizes rather, have been getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So why would you want to put in your small space a plant that will scratch you, prick you, poke you, or what have you? There was a great, shall we say, fashion for these agave plants, you know, these very sort of tropical looking spiky leaved plants that people very often have in the front garden. Well, if you've seen the thorns on those, they're vicious and they're eye level for pets and small children. Now, there are other categories that I that I have. And on the website, I have a, 
a page which has a list of plants that will fall into these categories. But what I wanted to, to go through was not what each individual plant is, but the problems you might get for actually having these in your garden. And really, what clues can you pick up from the plant labels when you're out in the garden centre so that you don't inadvertently buy something that might cause you a problem? Because let's face it, I want my garden to be easy to look after, and I'm sure you do too. I have several categories of plants. So we've done, you know, the plants that the plants that fight back. So then I have categories that are speed spreaders, bogoffs, triffids, and divas. So what is a speed spreader? Well, if you remember that Disney film, I think it was Fantasia. There was the clip of Mickey Mouse, who was the magician's nephew, who was trying to clear up the do the washing up, and the water was spilling over and the broomsticks, he kept chopping them in half and they just kept multiplying. And in the end, he had half a million broomsticks all making a mess of everything else. So in the plant world, the speed spreader category tends to be bulbs, as, as one example. And what the bulbs do is each year, once they've flowered and died down, under the ground, the bulb splits and it produces millions of tiny little bulblets and all of those begin to grow in the garden. Now for some that's not a problem, you know some are very lovely but they can in a small garden quickly take over. A good warning sign is to look out for the term or the phrase good for naturalizing. Good for naturalizing in a small garden is not a good idea. It will spread too quickly. Two other phrases that you need to just keep an eye on are thrives in dry shade and good for ground cover. Now these plants tend to be really tough and able to grow in places where it, the, the conditions are difficult. It might be in a dark corner, it might be in a rain shadow, so it has really hard tough conditions of low light and poor soil to contend with and it still manages to survive. But imagine if you put that somewhere in a garden where it has fantastic conditions, the plant will think like it's on a holiday and having a party and it'll just keep going. So you end up with something that becomes far too thuggish and spreads everywhere. So what are bog-offs? Well, we've all been to the supermarket and there is the dump basket that says buy one, get one free. Well, this again are, is the same sort of thing. Bog-offs, but this instead of buy one, get one free, this is buy one, get several thousand free. Most of this will be your prolific self-seeding plants. And it's lovely to have plants that can spread and self-seed everywhere, but there are some that, that might do it too efficiently. I mean, weeds are a classic example. I mean, we only need to turn our back and walk away and have a cup of coffee, and the weeds have already grown, flowered and set seed. So they're prolific at producing and reproducing themselves. But things like grasses, a lot of grasses are very prolific self-seeders. Similarly, plants like forget-me-not. Now, they're easy to get rid of because if you remove the seed heads before they've had a chance to ripen, you reduce the, the proliferation. But again, in a small garden, you know, you need to be aware if you're planting prolific self-seeding plants upwind of your patio, 
or your path, for example, all of those weed seeds are going to get blown into the cracks and crevices in the patio and it can cause you a problem. So it's just something to think about. My last two categories are really the sort of the plants themselves that um, cause an awful lot of extra work. So I have my triffids and I have my divas. Now, triffids are plants that grow very fast, which sounds great if you want something. It might say, you know, it cloaks a wall really easily. It's good for hedging. It's fast growing. Gets to five metres or ten metres. Well, think about that. A plant that gets to 10 metres can easily cover a double-decker bus. You get locked into this cycle of a problem that you need to keep the plant in check, so you have to cut it back hard each year. When you cut plants back quite hard, it promotes fast growth. So you're constantly now in this hamster wheel of having to keep this plant in check. If you don't keep the plant in check, the plant doesn't know, oh, okay, well, I'll slow down a little bit. It just does its thing. If it's fast growing and it grows big, it will do that forever. The problem being then, if you don't keep it in check, the plant will still keep fast growing. It becomes bigger, it becomes heavier, it becomes more unruly, and it becomes much harder to get rid of. So again, in a small garden, Think about actually what it says. If it says five metres is a pretty big plant, if it's a, if it's a climbing plant, that will easily swamp most sheds, it will swamp most fences, and it will become too big too quickly. Now, my last category of plants to avoid if you don't like gardening are really what I've classed are high-maintenance plant divas. These are the plants for which if you give them the pampering and the preening regime and the feeding and the looking after that they crave, you will have the most glorious looking flowers. They will be big, they will be showy, you'll have amazing looking leaves, your neighbours will come round and tell you how fabulous it is. But the trouble is, you've had to go round and keep deadheading them. You have to check that they haven't got diseases or, or, or pestilence on them because they're quite sensitive to those sorts of things. You have to make sure they have the right feeding regime. Otherwise, you won't get the size of flower that you want. You might have to keep tying them up. They might have to stake them. You might have to hold the, the flower heads up because they're really big showy flower heads. And if you don't do these things, the plant just can't perform as you want it to. And it becomes a bit of a diva and just flops down on the floor in a bit of a, in a, bit of a sulk. But in general, which ones are they? Well, if you go into a garden centre and you look at the plants on show, think plants with really big showy flower heads. Big flower heads require big amounts of food to get the flower heads up and, and, and producing that size because it's probably not a normal size flower that evolution would have produced. In other words, it's a flower that has been bred into by horticulturists over a number of generations. You might find that the flowers are very complicated in their petal structure. They've got frills and multiple colours and this sort of thing, all of which require energy for the plant to produce the flower. So if it needs a lot of energy to produce the flower, you need to give it the right conditions. So these plants, if you put them in a pot and you forget to water them for a couple of days, they'll be really miserable and they will not pay you back with the display that you want. 
So it's a question of, if you know what you're getting into, that's fine. If you're prepared to be a dedicated gardener who is going to go out on a daily basis and make sure that you give it its liquid fertilizer once a week and you keep it watered and you keep it deadheading and you all of those sorts of things, and that's what you want to do, that's great. But if you want to make your garden easy, and if you want to keep the gardening time down to the absolute minimum so you can enjoy being in the garden rather than having to do the garden, then maybe before you go gardening this spring, just have a look at those plant labels with another, with just a different alternative viewpoint and think, hmm, what does that really mean? And do I really want that in my garden? Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Rachel McCartain of The Plotting Shed. As always, you can send me any questions. You can email me, rachel at plantplots.com. You can visit the website, put some pictures on our Facebook page. We'd love to see any of the gardens and the garden makeovers that you've done. It's always good. Have a lovely weekend. I hope the weather is fine where you are. Spring is nearly here, fingers crossed, and we'll be able to get out and enjoy a bit of warm sunshine. So until next time, have a good week. Thank you for listening.